I know it's been over a year since the last time we studied the book of Ephesians. And you may or may not remember where we were at or what was going on when we stopped studying it. Matthew said December 19th, I guess is what he said. I found out December December 6th, December 4th, that I had cancer. And I, But don't get discouraged. I'm going to try to catch you up. Here in just a minute, by way of review, and uh, just a few minutes, we'll we'll go through all that. But before I do that, I'd like to say thank you to all the people who have been in prayer for me over the last year as I've battled cancer. Uh, the battle continues. I'm not done with it yet. Not that I know of. I may be and don't know it yet. But but uh, I feel great. I feel okay. But but um, I think I still. You know, the cancer is still there. There was a time that I didn't think that I would ever that I'd ever speak again at church. And sometimes I even doubted that I'd make the next service. But Yahweh, who is abundant in mercy, and because of his great love for me, has allowed me at least one more chance to serve him in this capacity, that I might do my best to edify his church and maybe lift up those who have lifted up me through prayers and petitions throughout the, tri- the time of trouble that I've had in the last year. So thank you for all your diligence and praying for me on my behalf, your fasting on my behalf. Thank you. Over the last year, it seems as if the battle has been overwhelming for me at times, especially as it pertains to my diligence to the faith and my service to Yahweh. And it's funny that the very thing that I want to get into today has just to do with that. The subject of diligence, commitment, perseverance, of our faith and our daily walk with Yahweh. As a matter of fact, I conti- if had I continued teaching on through my trial of cancer, it may have been an inspiration to me as I faced the battle. As a matter of fact, I know it would have been. But sometimes when troubles come our way in life, or a lot of times, we just lay down and we take the easy road rather than committing to the fight and winning the victory. And unfortunately, I believe that is partly what happened to me over the last year. When I found out that I was sick, when life's troubles came my way, I found an excuse to lay down rather than to stand and to meet the challenge head on. Don't get me wrong, there were times that I couldn't have stood up here. There were times that I didn't have the strength to stand. And it would have been physically impossible for me to speak. But there's been months now that I have felt better, that I have been fine. And I believe that I have been able to study and able to teach, and instead I have used my cancer excuse to lay down and to take the easy way out while other men stood behind this pulpit and taught and preached and served and kept the faith. And they carried the torch when I sat down. And I hope and I pray that Yahweh will... uh, Well, forgive me for that one and continue to allow me to feel good, to help me heal completely so that I can do my part and persevere in the faith in my walk. And so that I can show my diligence in studying to speak and teach and do my part, hopefully all for Yahweh's glory. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. Thank you for being there for me and uh, praying for me. I really, really appreciate it. This sermon... This sermon is going to be a super practical sermon. 
It's one that can be applied to everyday life, and it needs to be applied to your everyday life if you life if you plan on persevering and being a soldier for Yahweh. Those, that is one huge word to me. I remember it from Denise. She always talked about being a soldier for Yahweh. So you'll hear it throughout this uh, throughout this sermon. But if you want to be one, I believe she was one. If you want to be one, it's a uh, you're gonna you're gonna need to apply this to your life. Many lessons that are that are taught throughout Scripture are motivational or throughout the Scripture are motivational and inspirational. And I hope this sermon will be one of those. So um, let's let's uh, let's read Ephesians chapter six, verses ten through seventeen. And, We'll start to get into this a little bit. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, it says, Finally be strengthened by Yahweh and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of the Almighty so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of the Almighty so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take the shield of faith and with it, you'll be able to extinguish the flame and arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is Yahweh's word. Now, the last time I talked, we covered verses 10 through 13. And again, I know that it has been a little while. So in your spare time, you might want to go back to the website and, and uh, look up that sermon. I don't know the number on it, but it's obviously Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. That was the verses that were covered. And then you could you can listen to it again to kind of get you back in the swing of things. But as an overall cap throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul centered in on two parties throughout this whole book. Number one was Yahweh. And number two are the saints. The first three chapters of Ephesians is about what Yahweh has already done for the saints by way of his predestined plan through his son. The whole first three chapters is all about Yahweh and what he's done for us. Okay. And the second half of Ephesians is about what he expects us to do for him because of the love that and the favor that he's already shown us. Okay. We've talked about several positions that we hold in the Messiah. We talked about slaves and masters, parents and children, husbands and wives. There are a lot of criteria listed throughout these chapters that is expected of a true born again saint. One that has been changed from the old man, made new by the grace of Yahweh. But when Paul gets to verse 10 in chapter 6, he kind of gears up or gears us up for one final exhortation as he starts to close this letter. This is almost like not really a doxology, but we're coming into the closing of this letter. He's 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 getting to the end of it. He's going to finalize it and 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 start to start to close it up. And that's where we're picking up today now. It's my opinion that Paul has just laid out a lot of groundwork for the saints, but in doing so, also realizes that there's still a big battle ahead. He's told you how to live. He's told you what Yahweh's done for you. He's told you what he expects you to do, but he realizes, hey, just because you know what to do doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, okay? And that's where we're picking up today, all right? 
So he sees the outside influence that will distract the saint from being able to accomplish their goals. And so Paul writes these last words of an exhortation to prep the saint for the battle that he's about to face. But before he gets into the battle armor, he encourages the believer to be strengthened in verse 10. He says, finally, be strengthened by Yahweh and by his vast strength. Saints, it doesn't matter how much you prepare for the battle. If you don't have the strength to fight, it doesn't matter. Okay? you got to have the strength. Paul realizes that, and so he encourages us to, realize, uh, to rely on the strength of Yahweh. Secondly, he reminds us of who our opponent is in verse 11. He says, put on the full armor of Yahweh so that you might can stand against the tactic of who? The tactics of who? The devil. Okay? The devil is the opponent. He's the adversary. He's the one that's going to cause us the problems. Okay? And he'll do it by using his tactics and his crafty ways or his wily ways is what they're referred to sometimes. Paul then reminds us again in verse 12 that it's not against, it's not against man that we battle, but against much higher forces. Not only Satan himself, but a whole host of dark rulers from a realm that is completely foreign to us. Completely foreign. We're talking about spiritual forces of evil in a realm that we don't know anything about. And also, let me say this. It's not that worldly things are not things we battle as well. Okay? It's not that we don't have problem with worldly things. Everything's not spiritual to the eye. As we see dilemmas and problems in life, they appear natural. The point here is that the force behind some of those things that come our way can and sometimes are spiritually driven. Okay? The devil, the devil and the demonic influence of his co cohorts can be what drives some of the challenges that we face on a daily basis. What we see as natural adversaries may very well be Satan all dressed up. All right? This is why in verse 13 it says, you must take up the full armor of Yahweh so you may be able to resist in the evil day and have prepared everything to take your stand. What day is the evil day? It's every day. Every single day is the evil day. So we prepare for every day. We never let our guard down. We're always to be ready for the day that Satan tries to sway us. If we wait till Satan comes to put your armor on, you will be defeated. It's like waiting until you're about to have a wreck to put your seatbelt on. It never works. It'll never work. You've got to be ready and you've got to be ready all the time. So that's where we're at. Paul's getting ready to close this letter out and his last few statements are going to be an exhortation about how we are to prepare for battle. He's given us the tools to work with and instructions on what we're to look like when we're equipped. But now we're going to see what each piece, piece of armor represents and what functions it serves to protect our spiritual man and how we, we are to use it to protect the holy vessel that Yahweh has called us to be. Okay, let's look at verse 14. It says, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. So Satan's going to attack you, according to Paul. That's what he says. He's coming. Might as well get ready. But Paul simply says, stand. He'll tell us the various pieces of armors that we need. But first, he just says, stand. How will, the attack, how, how will Satan attack us? Might be a good question to ask. Well, Satan's sole goal is to undermine Yahweh, just like he did in the garden with Adam and Eve. To discredit Yahweh, that's his goal. Okay? 
He wants to make Yahweh out to be a liar and him to be the teller of the truth. But Yahweh says, he is the truth and Satan is the liar. Yeshua says, Satan is the father of liars. Lies. So if Satan can see any doubt in you, in any little bit of, any inkling of doubt in you, he's going to work with that. Okay? Then they, there may be a way, that may be a way that he attacks your faith. He may he may see the weakness in you. If you doubt Yahweh at all, he may see that weakness in you, and that, that's the way he attacks you. Remember what Yeshua told Peter in Luke chapter 22. He says, look out, Peter. Satan desires to sift you. He desires to sift you. We can't lose our faith in Yahweh. That is our only stronghold. Remember the first three chapters of Ephesians. It's nothing but promises on top of promises of what Yahweh has already done for us. Those are his plans for us. He's already promised all those things. That's his plans. Have confidence in Yahweh and his, and his, and his plan for our future. If we believe in Yahweh, then we've got to take our strength in him and we've got to stand. Yes. Another big way I believe Satan attacks the believer is through false doctrine. There are so many diverse groups in Christianity today that it becomes confusing to a lot of people. The Bible com becomes confusing to a lot of people. Different theological methods of Bible understanding and interpretation, it causes all kinds of confusion. This man says this, or that man says that, and to the untrained ear, it end up in conflict and doctrines and chaos, which causes disruption or corruption within the church. People are tossed to and fro by different teachings. Paul warns us of that too. He says, don't be tossed to and fro by all kinds of winds of doctrine. All kind of people are, and unfortunately, I guess, I don't know that they all do it on purpose, but I think some do it on purpose, some don't. But unfortunately, many teachers are just wolves in sheep's clothing. Whether they mean to be or don't mean to be, they still are wolves in sheep's clothing. Teaching a plethora of doctrines, uh, doctrines which destroy the truth of the scriptures. Folks, Bible study is really not all that hard. You just have to be dedicated to it. You can't be lazy. I'm probably the dumbest person in here, but I know how to read and I know what a Bible looks like. I can understand what words mean. I can take the time to do my homework. I'm not, I'm not that intelligent, but I, but I've got, I've got a Bible. And if I sit there long enough, I'll figure it out. If I look, if I'm, if, if I'm as dedicated to that word right there as I am to going and getting a, Mickey cake out of the pantry in there. <laughs> this didn't get here because I'm lazy. I don't mind going to the pantry. If I would, if I would work on that Bible as much as I can go to the pantry, my my Bible knowledge would grow just like my belly. Would. So it's it's no different. Whatever you put your heart into, that's what you're going to be good at. If you if you if you like motorcycles or ride motorcycles or something like that, you're going to get good at it because you love it. It's something that you want to do. You put that much effort into that Bible, and you're going to get good at it. The man that studies the most, that tries the hardest, that, that spends the most time there, he's going to be the most educated because he just spends his time. So you can't be lazy. No. You got to be diligent. And if you if you'll do that, you can refute most of the nonsense that comes your way. If you constantly stay in that word all the time, when somebody says something that's erroneous or out of the way, red flags fly. You go, mm, I've read that 27 times. I don't remember that. You know, maybe it's true. I'll go back and check it out again, but I don't remember that. So division in the church can also be caused by jealousy or pride. Dividing the body from its desired unity. That's terrible. That's another way that Satan slips in. He can cause some division, break things up. 
It makes a mess of things. It starts to destroy what's going on in the church. That's a terrible thing. Paul says in chapter 4, to endeavor to keep the unity in the faith, growing into one mature man. Not a bunch of mature men. One mature man. Mm -hmm. this, is a, this is supposed to represent a body. Everybody works and functions together. One piece. Mm -hmm. Separation or division is probably one of the worst attacks on a church body. I've seen many churches torn apart by one group following one man or one group. And the other part of the church follow another man or another group. Well, the whole time we're supposed to be united amongst one another. Pride is a big divider. Our own pride. <clears throat> our own Bible knowledge. Our own dedication to the church. How much we serve. How much we give. We build false trust in these things. <clears throat> this is the way that Satan may jump in on you too. One might say, I go to church every time the doors are open. I, I, I'm, I'm a spiritually strong person. I must be spiritually strong. The next man might say, I'm too grounded in my faith. I won't or I can't be turned. Well, keep in mind, Matthew just sung a song about Job. He's the master of deception, by the way, that Satan is. Job was one of the most righteous men in the Bible. <clears throat> You've seen what happened to him in the song. He was tempted. He didn't give in, but... But he was tempted. The Messiah was tempted for 40 days. Or I don't know if it lasted the whole time, but he's 40 days in the wilderness. He was tempted while he was there. This is the only begotten son of Yahweh. I don't know about you, but as I compare myself to those two men, I'm a pretty easy target. It doesn't take, it won't take much to whip me. You know? Wow. <clears throat> he's crafty in his ways. We're talking about ancient, 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 ancient being that knows exactly what he needs to do to take one of Yahweh's vessels and destroy it, okay? Right. Paul knows all that. And so right here in verse 14, he says, stand. He has mentioned it in the last three verses, stand. Verse 11, he says, put on the full armor so you can stand against the tactics of the devil. In verse 13, he says, having prepared everything that you might stand. And now in verse 14, he says, stand with truth like a belt around your waist. Paul's pretty emphatic about standing. All he means here is to have structure, to have a backbone, mm -hmm. to hold fast, to don't fall over, to don't be washed away, but stand like Moses mm -hmm. did when he stood there in the part of the Red Sea. Mm -hmm. Stand. <clears throat> it's not necessary to try to estimate the devil's tactics. You're not going to do that. You can't, you can't perceive his deceptions coming. You don't know what's coming. All you, all you have to do is be ready no matter what comes our way. We don't concentrate on what he's doing. That's right. We concentrate on what we're doing. Amen, brother. You worry about you. You don't worry about what's fixing to come. You don't worry about the battle that's in front of you. You just think, I've got to be prepared. Whatever the battle is, I've got to be prepared. So you prepare yourself. You don't, you don't try to figure out you know, which angle he's coming at. It shouldn't matter what Satan plan, what way or how Satan plans to attack us. And believe me, he's crafty and he's cunning, cunning, and he's always planning some kind of attack for those who serve Yahweh. That doesn't matter to us. If we put the armor on that is prescribed here in the next few verses, we'll be ready for whatever battle comes our way. So as I've said before, Paul is in prison here. And he's writing this letter to the churches in Asia Minor. But I believe while he is sitting here in prison, he must be looking at a common soldier. I think that Paul is sitting here in stocks and bonds, 
And he's looking at a soldier, a Roman soldier, that's either a guard or just an everyday common soldier, maybe some kind of battleman. I'm not sure. But undoubtedly, he's equipped with the armor of a Roman soldier. And I believe that Paul is staring at him. And I'm thinking he's getting his armor picture from this soldier that's near him in prison. Either way, Paul starts to pick apart the armor of the soldier and he uses it to define the battle garments that we should have on to do battle with the greatest adversary known to man. I'll go through these pieces of armor over the next few sermons. And today we're just going to look at one of them, but I want you to kind of, I want you to kind of get an idea of what a Roman soldier looks like. Just, just think if you've ever seen some of the old ancient wars or something like that, maybe, maybe get an idea there. But so the first piece of armor that Paul starts with is the belt of, starts with is the belt of truth. He says, stand therefore with the truth like a belt around your waist. Your Bible may say, stand firm therefore having girded your loins with truth which I believe is a more more literal translation. Either way, the concept is the same. The idea is to gird up your loins or, or tighten up your belt and get ready. And what we are to pre- prepare with is the concept of truth. Paul's looking at something physical here. He sees this soldier, and he trans- he's transferring that to the spiritual man, which is you and me, or me and you, or however you say that, the, uh, the saint. Now, the word truth here is the Greek word aletheia. It can be translated and is translated many different times or ways throughout the Greek Septuagint, the Greek New Testament. It can be used to define truth as opposed to falsehood. Truth as defined as the word of Yahweh. Truth as the revelation of Yahweh or even the content of truth. Okay. Or there's another way that it can be defined. And that is an attitude of truthfulness or non-hypocrisy or sincerity, honesty, integrity, or commitment. Well, if we take these into consideration, I believe that they all are valid. They all have validity. If Paul is saying stand with truth, meaning the opposite of false, that is definitely necessary. Okay. That's definitely necessary because when Satan comes with all his wily tactics and false teachings, It's important that we don't fall into them and that we don't be led astray. And the only way we would be prepared for that is if we have the truth. It is important that we have the truth of the scriptures and the revelation of Yahweh that he allows us to see. And then the secondary concept of the word truth here could mean readiness or commitment. That's the second understanding. All of them kind of fit in the first category, but the second understanding could be um, readiness or commitment dedication or being sold out this too is very important what good is a soldier that can't stand and is not dedicated okay a weak or faint hearted soldier he can't do battle he can't go into battle as a matter of fact in deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 8 moses tells the israelites who is the man that is faint-hearted or afraid let him depart and return to his house so that he might not make his brothers Hearts melt like his heart. Moses is speaking to the military men about the, about the rules of war. He's saying, if you're not strong enough to battle, then leave and go home or you'll crush the spirit of the man that's standing beside you. And before you know it, the whole army will come weak and you'll become faint-hearted. You must, you must be committed in order to do battle. And you must be sold out in order to stand. Make up your mind about who you're going to serve and decide your life. Decide, decide that for your life. 
So those are the two the two ways that the word aletheia or truth can be understood. But what fits the context here with the battle armor? This was the question that I had. If truth can be understood a bunch of different ways, what makes what fits the context here? And most of the time you would just look at this and you would just read it literally and with truth like a belt like around your waist and you'd be okay with that. However, when we get down to verse 17, and it says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is Yahweh's word, is not Yahweh's word, the truth as well. And so I think we'll deal with the truth in the scripture when we get to verse 17. As for right now, I had a question of why we use the word truth right here. So if you go back and take this word throughout several different things in the New Testament, you will see that most of the time that this word is used, it is used in light of commitment, in light of uh, dedication to something, not so much, not so much truth as in truth opposing faults, but rather in verse 14, committed to stand with integrity and your loins girded up or a belt around your waist. Get ready. So let's talk about the battle garments of a Roman soldier in Paul's day. I'm going to try to draw somewhat of a picture for you here. In Paul's day, people wore tunics and before Paul's day, People wore tunics. And after Paul's day, people wore tunics. And today, people still wear tunics. <laughs> so so um, this was common apparel for people back then. And even the soldiers wore these tunics just like the lay, lay people. But they, they covered their tunics and battle garments before they went into battle or when they suited up to do their daily soldiering duties. Now, most people in here know what a tunic is. However... There may be some out there that's listening by way of phone or Facebook that don't know what a tunic is, so let me explain. A tunic would be a large, maybe a large shirt in today's time, possibly just a square piece of cloth in Paul's day with a neck hole cut in it. It may have had armholes cut in it. It could have been split all the way down the sides or sewn from the armpit down to the bottom of it. Okay. And that was about it. You just slid it over your head and it would drape down from your neck to your knees and cover your body. But if you're going into battle, you wouldn't want this thing flying and flapping all around. It would be a hindrance to you. Okay. That thing get tangled up on everything and you'd be in a mess. Somebody might pull that sucker over your head and you'd really be in a pit. So that's funny. Everybody laughs. I'm going to tell a story about Matthew real quick. So the, so the first time I ever met Matthew, he had this tunic on, and I thought, check this cat out right here. He's Muslim or Hindu or something <laughs> coming over here. Uh, had no idea what a tunic was. I got educated real quick. It didn't take long. But before I was educated, the first time I seen him, I thought, man, it looks like he come out of one of those monasteries up there in Atlanta. And uh, so, he, so I get educated on what a tunic is have a lot of respect for the tunic. I'm picking on Matthew because we're great friends and we can do that. But, but, um, <laughs> but, but, um, I have a lot of respect for the tunic. I really do. And, and I think it's great that he, that he wears it and people that do wear them and, 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 you know, probably we should all wear them. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not opposed to the idea. However, I don't do it. But the first time I ever seen him, I thought it was crazy. And then as I got to know Matthew a little bit better, before you know it, we were playing uh, softball up at the, at the church and up there and Matthew's out there in his tunic. And um I remember him I remember him running around those bases. If you've never played softball with Matthew, he's probably the fastest thing on two feet that you've ever seen. 
But he would take off from home plate to first base, and that tunic would just be shaking down there at the bottom. And he reminds you of one of those cartoon characters. His feet's just moving so fast, it's just going round and round and round. It looks like a blur, just like a dust ball going up underneath this tunic, going around the thing. Well, you never, you, he could hit a ground ball to the pitcher and he couldn't throw him out. He was, he was that quick coming out of his shoes. And uh, so I just thought about that when I was talking about the tunics and when I was writing the sermon. I, I can just see, I can just see Matthew leaving home plate in that tunic and it was just, it'd be shaking right behind him. And I'm, now I'm thinking if he were, if I were there then, I would say, gird up your loins, Matthew, tie that thing up before you trip and fall. You know, get ready. We're fixing to leave in haste, you know, so get ready, gird up your loins. But anyway, I thought that was funny and so I would add it in to the sermon, but the Bible has a lot to say about tunics and girding up your loins. You will find this over and over and over again if you'll research that phrase throughout the scriptures. The first thing that comes to mind to me is Exodus 12. Hmm. Yahweh tells the Israelites before they leave Egypt that they are to keep the Passover festival. We've got that coming up. It's right around the corner. Okay, He says to keep the Passover. Well, in that instruction, Yahweh is preparing them preparing them for an upcoming battle that they may encounter. They're fixing to leave Egypt. Pharaoh's fixing to follow them. We don't know if they're going to have to fight or not, and they don't know if they have to fight. All they know is we're fixing to check out. Moses said, get ready. We're fixing to leave. Not only will they need to be courageous, they will need to be dedicated. Okay? They've got to be dedicated. A lot of, a lot of the people that left Israel, were, I mean Egypt, were not dedicated. That's right. We see that throughout the wilderness. Why did you bring us out here to die? Why can't we just go back and make bricks? We'll just stay there. At least we've got food. We've got shelter, things like this. They weren't dedicated, but they were going to need to be dedicated. And they're going to need to be willing to stand for Yahweh. But they will also need to be prepared and ready to move quickly and swiftly. So what does Moses tell them in, in, in verse 11 in chapter 12? He says, now you shall eat, speaking of the Passover lamb, you shall eat it. In this manner, with your loins girded, the same thing that Paul talks about right here with the, with the Roman soldier, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. Now, if you weren't worried about running out and at any given moment <clears throat> and possibly having to do battle, then you would typically probably eat dinner in the comfort of your own home with your loins not girded. Your tunic hanging loose, your robe hanging loose. That's right. You would be in comfort. You're just eating. You're not. You're not worried about having to run anywhere. I like to unbutton the top button of my uh, pants if I get in that pantry too long. I just take that thing loose. I don't feel so bad anymore. You know, that might be what somebody else would do. They'd un untie the tunic. You know. But Yahweh's instructing Israel to be ready, the same way Paul is instructing us here to be ready to to do battle with Satan. In Luke chapter 12 and in verse 35. The master is talking about the second coming of the Messiah, and he says, we are to be dressed in readiness and keep our lamps lit. Same concept, no different. He's talking about a preparedness, a readiness, okay? In other words, we're to have a sense of preparedness. I believe that the concept of truth that is to be extracted from the passage in verse 14, that's the concept of truth that's to be extracted from the passage in verse 14. That's the way we're supposed to under, understand the word truth. Commitment. Commitment. Will you stand for Yahweh? Stand. 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 Be committed. Be be sold out to him. Okay? Amen. Dedication to the cause. Stand for Yahweh no matter what the cost. Are you sold out? Are you ready to fight for the, or fight the adversary for the, for the sake of Yahweh? 
Now that now that we don't know his next move, however, we do know that there will be a next move, so we might as well stand ready in the truth. So how do we how do we tie this into life? How do we tie this into everyday living? We to see if it's even practical, we need only ask ourselves one question. Is the adversary still in business today? Is he still active today? Is he still killing? Is he still stealing? Is he still deceiving people as he walking to and fro on the earth? Is he still doing that? The question is rhetorical. The answer is obviously yes. We can, we can see his handiwork when you look around, okay? <clears throat> so as long as Satan is still in business and he's messing things up, we're still in need of a whole bunch of armor. We're going to have to have it. And preparing ourselves to stand in truth and be ready for the battle. I believe that the reason most people lose out in the faith is because they're never really committed. They're never really committed. Christians today play church. That's what they do. They play church. They show up when it's convenient. They live a righteous life as long as it doesn't hinder what their flesh desires. It's easy to live righteous as long as it doesn't get all in your skin. I can keep all the commandments that don't bother me. That's no problem. That's no problem. I feel like they kind of just flop their way through life in a loose tunic. That's what happens. Not really girded up. Not really committed. Paul talks about running a race in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He said, don't you know that in a race that all runners run? But only one. Only one gets the prize. Run in such a way to get the prize. Yes. Brothers and sisters, dedicate yourselves. Gird up your loins and be ready. Cut off anything that hinders you. Mm-hmm. Or tie it up. Get it out of the way so that you might be ready to maneuver and stand against the tactics of the devil. Matthew told me this a long time ago, and uh, it has stuck with me forever and ever and ever. He told me that the only thing a man gets from straddling a fence was a sore tail. And that stuck with me. It's time to get on one side of the fence or the other. Sell out. Be dedicated. Committed to Yahweh. Stand in the truth. The victory is already yours. It's already ours. The battle is decided whether or not you're in the fight or not. The battle is already over with. Okay? You can be part of it or not be part of it. There's a losing side and a winning side. We know which one wins. That's right. Okay? You can be part of it. You can sell out and stand for the banner of Yahweh, and the victory can be yours. You just have to be committed, dedicated. David did this. When he come down to face Goliath, I used the story because it's common, and I've been reading First, Second Samuel, so it's kind of fresh on my mind. But David did this when he come down to Goliath. Do you think Yahweh could have destroyed Goliath by other means of David than David? Sure he could have. He had a whole army of Israel standing right here. Got all the Philistines down in the valley. Goliath comes out day after day after day and makes a mockery out of Israel. He says, send somebody down here to kill me. If you can whip me, then I'll leave. The whole Philistine army will just give up. David's coming, bringing water to his brothers. He says, who is that big sucker down there? Why is he screaming at y'all like a bunch of fools? Y'all sitting up here not doing anything. He said, let me go down there with him. I'll go down there with him. 
Here is David, little shepherd boy. I don't know how big he was, but undoubtedly he was smaller than the rest of the people. He wasn't big enough to be in the army or big, big enough to even be in the military. He couldn't even wear Saul's battle garments. Couldn't even put on the armor. Saul gives him this armor bearer comes up, brings him this gear. David tries to put it on. He says, man, I can work with this stuff too big. Yeah. He says, but who is this uncircumcised Philistine that, that defies the name of the living God? Yes. Who is he? That's right. David was committed. He said, I'm, I'm a servant of Yahweh. It doesn't matter. That's right. He walks down there, gives him five smooth stones out of the creek, out of the wadi. He walks up to Goliath and he says, you come at me with a sword, but I come at you in the name of Yahweh. Yes, yes. He's committed. He's dedicated. One rock, down goes Goliath. Kind of like down goes whatever. Yeah, Frazier. Cuts his head off, parades it around Israel. Keeps the sword, later be used. Yeah. David was committed. He was sold out. He stood for Yahweh when the rest of them sissies are sitting up there on the hill. They got a whole army full of people and they're scared of this big guy. They go up scared. Mm. What is it? What is he? What do you got to lose? The battle's already won. Mm. The battle's already won. Especially eternally, imputed righteousness is already applied to us. Mm. We don't have to worry about anything. The battle's already won. Stand. Mm. Take the banner of Yahweh and Amen. hold it high. Mm. Hold it high. Focus on what you're to be and prepare yourself to be the best. And the rest will take care of itself. Satan's more crafty. That we are, you're not going to outthink him. You're not going to outplan him. You're not going to jump out of the way of flaming darts. They're coming, guys. They're coming. You just put the right armor on. You don't have to worry about it. Okay? You can put on armor that'll protect you. And that's what we're instructed to do by the great general through the mouth of Paul. I want you to look with me real quick to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. I'm just going to read one verse there. If you don't turn, I can read it. No big deal, but the second Timothy chapter two and in verse three, it says this. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ to please the recruiter. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of everyday life. Wow. If, 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 um, if the draft were to come on and the United States military were to start drafting people, or the military and we were to be selected people of eligibility to go into the army they wouldn't come and uh when you get drafted into the army they probably wouldn't say we would like for you to come into the army and if you don't mind uh wear the gear that we have picked out for you and if you don't mind carry an ar-15 in one side arm and uh, if you don't mind we'd like for you to show up on time and cut your hair a certain way and uh if it's not too much trouble we need you to stay out there on the battlefield and fight for us. Things like that. That's not what that's not what the army does. You, John was in the military. He would know full well. They tell you exactly what you're going to do, exactly when you're going to do it. This is how you're going to act. This is how it's going to work. This is what you're going to use. You're going to stay in that ditch until we tell you you can get out of that ditch. That kind of stuff. And you have to be committed to the cause, or it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can't have rebellious people out there. You can't have somebody that needs to leave the ditch out there and go home and check on his wife because she can't handle three kids. You can't have somebody that needs to go make a phone call to wish somebody happy birthday. These people are dedicated. 
if you go and read through the the book of well, first and second Samuel and Judges and things like that, and read about all the militant wars and stuff like that, these people are sold out to Yahweh. They are sold out. They fight. They fight the cause of righteousness because they because they they believe in what they stand for. They believe in what Yahweh's laws are. They believe in the words of Moses. They yes, believe yes, in their way yes. of life, and they were sold out for it. That's all we're talking about here. Who is the recruiter in Second Timothy? Yahweh's the recruiter, the author and the finisher of your faith. The first three chapters of Ephesians tells us how Yahweh has chosen predestined us to be adopted sons and that's already accomplished now all we got to do is fight the good fight we have to be committed to the end we have to run the race in effort to win the prize i'll close with this soldiers stand up in your faith gird up your loins tie up your loose garments don't have your tunic flopping all over the place Prepare for your, prepare yourself for battle that's to come and be ready for whatever comes your way. Don't get entangled with the world and the lust and the hypocrisy, the false doctrines, self-confidence, churchisms, or anything else that's a distraction. All those things are weak and they're beggarly. That's right. But rather be assured in the armor that Yahweh has supplied for your spirituality. Okay? The first one was truth. The next time we talk about this we'll talk about the piece of armor of righteousness i'm excited about that one but for now put the armor on that you know about we've discovered the armor of truth put it on get in line with yahweh commit and wow. stand for yahweh and do it with all your heart Praise God.